Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I am joined by a lovely, lovely woman from the American, <laughs> from the American, from America, from the United States of America. Welcome yes. Virginia or Ginny. Welcome. Yeah. Hi. Thank you very much. We, um, we had a phone conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago just to meet each other yeah. and it was such a lovely conversation. I had so much fun. Do you mind telling us a I little bit? Too about yourself and who you are and where you're from? Sure. Um, I am a mother of four, uh, but they're all grown. I'm turning 60 in October. I live in Northern California and I actually do um, my side job more than my, I have a regular job, but my side job is to do tarot cards and I do medium readings as well. So those are some fun activities. Um, also, I discovered, if it's okay, just to kind of get into how I discovered your podcast. Yeah. If that's okay. Um, basically, when um, I was looking for some kind of support, because I have a therapist, but I was also looking for support and reality checks um, in regards to just being assaulted. And I came across your podcast. My grown kids all listen to podcasts and my daughter got me on Spotify <laughs> and through Google and Spotify is where I, I discovered you. And I started listening to all of the podcasts. I binged, binged them <laughs> and I just, I felt home. I just, I felt validated. I, I was taking notes, you know, just jotting stuff down. I mean, oh, you're a godsend. You're an absolute godsend. You're a blessing. I just, I'll keep saying that. Thank you so it's much. True. It's so sweet. It's and I true. Think this is the purpose is to create this podcast so that people know that they're not alone yeah. and we all have validating experiences. And um, I think Bellamy, who was yeah. on my most recent podcast as well, said for her, it was each person that has spoken, she has had something that she related to in those conversations. Yes. And it was just yes. an incredible thing to go, these are conversations we never have. And this is the important yes. It's just, it yes. makes my heart sing that, um, yes. that you've been able to find it and that it's given you something. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I totally agree with her. It's, it's amazing because when you're, you know, when you're in this situation and just like you said, I mean, you, so many people have tried 
to get their, I call them predators, but, you know, assault, assailants, sorry, the terms, but just trying to go to trial or trying to get some justice. And, you know, whether it's a he said, she said situation, you know, or whatever. I mean, it truly is, you know, just an uphill climb and you're re-violated over and over and over and over again, you know. So to find a spot in a place where we're victims, it's not just women, there's men on here too, that just validate. And yes, it is. It's one of the scariest things to talk about, but just to be able to hear and, and to realize, oh my God, I felt that way too. Yeah. I, I went through that too. You know, Absolutely. Uh, just, oh my God. The sense of community as well. It's just unparalleled. Yes. Um, yeah. I was talking yes. to Kathy Oddie, who's a really good friend of mine now, and she's been on the podcast before just uh, last night. And we were both saying we were having a hard time personally with things going yes. on in our lives. And yes. it's just somebody that you can talk to in a way that they understand the outside pressures as well. And it's just an yes. interesting dynamic, I think, when somebody gets you on that level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just talking to you um, last week, I mean, I just, I know I was chatting Kathy, but I just, it was like, oh my God, <laughs> just being able to talk, you know, just being able to share, just being able to um, be normal, you know, and not feel weird and, and quirky, which I felt all of my life, yeah. you know. To be able just, to speak without judgment as well, yeah. I think is the importance. Exactly. Yes, exactly without judgment whatsoever. It's yeah. just been wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So do you mind so, giving us a bit of background and about your story and, and where this started sure. for you? Oh, it's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> so get a cup of coffee, people. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was born and raised in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. So in the, what they call, I would call it back East since I'm in California, but the Midwest area and in the sixties and seventies, um, where I grew up, it was very middle-class, upper middle-class neighborhood. So all the lawns were manicured, everybody, all the houses looked perfect. Kids looked perfect. Everything was perfect. But on the inside, there was a lot of toxic going on, lots of toxic. And as I shared with you before, um, it's just during that time, white men just felt women were objects of their desires. You know, their body, women's bodies were all about their wants and their needs, period. And so while I was growing up, um, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, I was basically groomed that I was basically groomed that white men, I'm, they're supposed to be able to do whatever they want with me, you know? And so for me, um, and again, sex and talking about our bodies was taboo. It was very taboo. So I didn't really understand the mechanics of what was going on. I didn't understand the mechanics of my body. And um, so one summer night, I woke up to what I now know was an orgasm that happened to my body, that I just shot up to a man leaving my bedroom and I was naked, totally naked. And I was five years old at the time. And I was confused. I didn't understand. And there's body shaming because you're never supposed to be naked. Why are you naked? And my pajamas were crumpled on the floor. I got out of bed. I was trying, I was crying. I didn't know what, you know, had happened. My mom came in and she was just frantic and just, you know, getting me dressed really fast and, and, you know, not saying anything. And again, confusion. I didn't know what was going on. And it happened a couple more times. And um, again, my mom, you know, hit things, didn't say anything. Um, so I didn't understand. I didn't know what was going on. And then throughout the, the years, um, through childhood, um, my dad was basically 
I was number three. Like he would, he would sit there and television was more important. His friends were more, as everything else was more important. I was allowed to communicate unless he told me. Um, he was very controlling and what we ate, what we did, how, you know, again, behavior, all of that had to be pristine when friends were around. Um, but, you know, again, inside the house to teach me not to play matches. Like, for example, he burned me with matches. Um, he also, he made dirks because he was a bagpipe player and he made dirks and skin, skin dues, which are the knives that are on the side. And when I started developing, he one time stabbed me with the point of one of the dirks and laughed about, you know, that, you know, we need to pop these. And again, whatever white men, you know, white men can do whatever. I mean, this was just grooming. I mean, there was, again, you know, everybody had playboys or different things like that, but just listening to how they would objectify women in that, you know, again, that's what my brain, okay. And I remember one time this young boy, I was cutting across the neighbors and this young boy of color hit me with a football and I couldn't breathe. And I got home and I couldn't breathe. And only because it was a, a young boy of color did my dad go after. So there I learned again, because he grew up in the, the South. And when I say the South, I mean, Georgia, the state of Georgia. And so again, in my head, it was grooming, okay, you know, men of color, um, low income men, you know, they're the bad guys, they're the evil ones. And what rich white guys can do whatever. Yeah, it's crazy um, the possession that, you know, yes. you are possessed by a white man and he would, you know, yes. he's, he, you're right. It's it's a level of grooming and um, making it normal that he would react to somebody of color. But if that was yes. to be um, a white man, it would probably be like, oh, and it would probably be phrases, he just hurt you because he likes you. And then that reinforces yes. that feeling that, mm-hmm. oh, this exactly. is my place in society again. So Exactly go back as well. So do you know who had assaulted you when you were five? Do you know who that was? Was that a member of your family? Actually, years later, I went, because again, went through lots of therapy and one of the therapists, every time one of the particular members of my family, even though my father and this member of my family looked identical, my dad scared me, but he never made me literally physically ill. But this person always did. And they would do inappropriate things throughout my childhood, but people wouldn't be around, you know. And I just thought, oh, this is, again, normal behavior. They're allowed to do this, you know. And years later, I confronted each member of my family. And when I confronted this person, they said, oh, I did a lot of drugs back then. And that was their response. So and when I finally, they didn't say no, they didn't say, I'm sorry. They said, my reasoning is this, you are therefore invalid. Yes, exactly. And I remember when I finally stood my ground because they had stayed at my house um, because they were doing some classes and stuff like that. And this is another thing, just FYI, if you do have dogs, you know how they say dogs know. All right. We had... um, she was a beautiful um, German or German Shepherd and Malamy, and she was huge, lots of fur and stuff. And the minute that he came into the house, she would not let him anywhere near my daughters, not anywhere near my son. She stayed in the hallway at night, and anytime he opened the door, she would be right there and growling. You know, I mean, it just confirms. And when I finally stood my ground as he was leaving, he was like, you have to kiss me goodbye. I was like, no, I don't. No, I don't. And that was the first, I mean, he was screaming and he sounded just like my dad screaming, you know, and I was like, Ugh. but I, I was able to stand my ground. I got physically afterwards, but you know, I was able to stand my ground and, and say no. And, and that was that, the first time I ever said no. Yeah. You know, and that's an incredible 
point as well of your own resilience and everything. And with your dog, I think as well, you, you'd said he had made you physically sick before and yeah. he made you yeah. uncomfortable. And I think this is, yeah. there's this one amazing book called The Gift of Fear. And yes. I'll link it in the show notes to this episode. It's incredible. And basically yeah. this book talks about our second brain, which is our stomach and the amount of brain cells mm-hmm. we actually have in our stomachs and what our guts mm-hmm. tell us. So it's like you already knew that this person was dangerous. You knew that this person was scary yeah. and you already knew that. And yeah. but your brain overrides it because of societal expectations, because of life experience and things like that. Yeah. But your dog, yeah. who has less brain cells than your stomach does, confirms <laughs> exactly. it for you. And that's one of those things I talk about a lot is listening to your gut because that just yes. validated you the your dog's beautiful response validated yes. you enough probably to go okay exactly now I trust myself I'm gonna get this asshole out of my fucking house exactly exactly I'm gonna get rid of him forever yeah. <laughs> you know and I'm I'm so glad that I did and and he's no longer on this plane he, he's gone and and that was like another thing that I realized you know when when someone was gone I had relief you know that kind of stuff. So again, more and more and more and more validation that, you know, this indeed happened, you know, this indeed was wrong, you know, that this person did this to me. Yeah, absolutely. Throughout this time, like you just said before, so you've been kind of told by your father and your family that, you know, a man of color kidding you or hurting you is, is wrong. So what happened when he went out to confront him? Luckily, he couldn't find him, which I'm very glad about, because um, I think he had his shotgun with him. And um, when he came back, he was absolutely livid. I was terrified. You know, again, so much shame. What did you do? Don't ever do that again. You know, again, piling on the blame, you know. And but like you said, I just was like so confusing, you know, and, you know, cause, cause he was just a kid. He was a kid being a kid and, you know, doing what his friend told him to do. You know, we're all little kids. It wasn't, you know, he just happened to throw the football at a right, right spot. And I lost the wind, you know, but I mean, it's not, he didn't sexually assault me or, you know, I mean, yeah, he, it hurt, but you know, it just, again, the the reaction, the action, you know, like I said, with others, nothing when they were white, nothing. It's so disappointing because people like Mm -hmm. you now in the experience you've gone through in your life, you know how wrong that is, you know how racist and awful that is. There's a huge proportion of people that you've grown up with that have had the same experiences and they truly believe them and are passing them on to their children. And that's exactly. why we're seeing so many horrific things happen in this world right now. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I have, you know, by the grace of God, I have three women friends who, you know, two in particular, Helen and Misa, who both strong, powerful women who kind of took me under their wing and just was like, Virginia, look in the mirror. Let's you know, reprogram you, let's get you out of this mentality, because I knew it was wrong. And that's, you know, for me, but when you're growing up in that environment, and that's all that you know, you think, oh, you know, because the violence that happens when you say I'm wrong, or the scariness, you just oh, shut up about it. But, you know, I just, no, I just can't because it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. Absolutely. And I think that's it. It's it's reprogramming our bias and it's being aware that we all have one because of the experiences that we have had, but it's up to us to break down those barriers and to leave this. Um, Especially as white women, we have a huge um, responsibility to make sure that we amplify these voices. Absolutely. Because, you know, it's, it's women like us that are going to be the voices to drown out the idiot women. Sorry. You know, who are are just, or the ignorant women, you know, who are being Karen-like and continuing to abuse and, you know, oh my God, horrific, horrific. 
yeah. you know, you got, you got to walk the walk. You're going to talk the talk, then you got to walk the walk. You know, absolutely. Every day I have to, you know, I, I always for the rest of my life will be looking in that mirror and saying, am I being a racist? Am I, you know, doing racist behavior? Am I thinking, you know, there's like the, there was an, an amazing point for me personally, which when, when George Floyd died, when he was murdered, not when he died, but when he was murdered. And I thought about, I was sitting in my bed and I thought about all of the black mothers who their boys, their sons, their babies, their daughters, you know, they can never turn that off. And I, who have a gay son, and I'm bisexual myself, you know, rainbow family, but I, that is just an onion because we can hide behind our white, you know what I'm saying? And I can turn that off. I can sit there and say, you know, well, my son is going to be safe. I can turn that off. They can never turn that off. And I want the day to be able that my friend Helen and my friend Nisa can turn it off just like I can turn it off. In other words, they don't have to worry about their children being murdered. They don't have to worry about themselves being murdered, you know? And that is something to think about if people sit there and say, oh, that was 200, you know, hundreds of years ago. Bullshit. It's happening now. It's happening right now and every day. So you got to put yourself in that place, the privilege that you get to turn it off, but they don't. And that's you know, the, and there that's go. a word I was yeah. going to use is the privilege. And, you know, oh, I have yeah. always been a fierce advocate and as a yes. feminist, but yes. the, the level of my privilege, I did not understand fully until right. George Floyd's murder, until the yeah. Black Lives Matter movement. And even for that to not be on my radar enough is mm-hmm. the epitome of white privilege. And yes. I think that that yes. has been, you know, for people to turn exactly. around and say, oh, now I'm aware that is privilege. Yes. And it is something that we talk about a lot. And I I specify this specifically with women of color who come Mm -hmm. forward about Mm -hmm. being sexually abused because Mm -hmm. they are not believed. And, you know, when we think about people accessing services, if English is your second language, then how the fuck are you supposed to navigate the legal system? Because if you don't have money... And your court-appointed lawyer does not speak your chosen language. Mm -hmm. You're fucked. So how is anybody that is not like basically white and of from money? How are you supposed to navigate these systems? And it is just horrific. And that is the epitome of privilege that I will acknowledge that I have. Is that this was not on my radar, and that is incredibly privileged, but also it means that I have something to do, which is raise this, talk about this and make sure that this is on all of our radars that we are conscious and cognizant of moving into the future. Exactly. We do. We have to every single day, every single day, because you're absolutely right. And I know in America, you know, white women have an extra layer of privilege, even going through, you know, like you said, you know, getting checked, being believed, semi-believed, whatever, you know, whereas women of color are not. You asked for it. You wanted it. You did that, 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 you know, again, you know, it's horrific. It's horrific. And you yeah. grew up in this, in this area and, and this life, especially in the Southern mm-hmm. States. Um, what was it like growing up as a teenager and through that time being in such a controlling um, and abusive oh, household? Yeah, it was, you know, continuing on, it was more situations, violations happened to me. Like um, we had a dentist who was, who never used Novocaine and I had really bad cavities and he would just fill my teeth. And on top of that, he would be filling me up as he was doing that. And I told my mother, no, you know, you wore too tight of a shirt. Don't do that next time kind of thing. And I was 12, oh my God. you know, uh, so one of my dad, a dentist, a medical professional yeah. is groping you. Yeah. It's your fault. Yeah. Fucking yeah. <laughs> exactly. And one of my dad's friends got drunk and was doing, we were having an ice fight, did a similar thing. I was, you know, 11 
at the time. But my point, you know, again, it was minimalized. It was minimalized. And so all of this minimalizing got me to believe that white men and white men with lots of money or privilege or high end, they can do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. And so I finally in high school, I got a boyfriend and I was just so enamored and so in love. And, and he sexually assaulted me first off, just having me do stuff that I just wasn't ready for and pushing me to do stuff. And so many people, when I would share it would just be like, oh, that's just fumbling. That's normal. But for me, I didn't want to do it. You know, I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't understand it. And one night he got on top of me and he, you know, orally, I mean, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. You know, it was horrific. And he made me, my dad wanted me home by a certain time. And after it was all over and he ejaculated in my mouth and I just oh. thought, oh my God, this is what being raped is like. I couldn't move. You know, I was terrified. And after it was all said and done, he was, you know, took me home and it was late. And I remember sitting on the couch, just waiting for my father to come down. Cause I thought, oh my God, here it comes. He's going to kill me. He's going to beat me. He's going to, you know, yell, scream. I'm, he's going to know. And I was absolutely, luckily he didn't you know, again, grace of God, whatever, you know, he didn't. But after that, again, learning from your podcast, because people would be like, well, why did you stay with him? And I, you know, after he would call me skank all the time. And I lost my virginity to him. And one of your women shared, you know, that they talked about gaining control and, you know, and doing and I thought, because I wondered that myself so much, all it, you know, it minimalized everything because I stayed with him. I gave him my virginity, It, you know, and realizing, wait a second. No, I was trying to regain power that entire time. I was trying to, you know, get my body back, you know, yeah. and, and it was a situation. And I finally, we finally broke up when I went to, you know, college, I went to Ohio State University. And at Ohio State, I wanted to go into uh, music, wanted to be an opera singer. But my mother was like, no, your father's not is going to forbid that. So I ended up going into social work of all things. And my one date that I had with a frat boy, he, well, before that, my roommates and I drank two fifths of Southern Comfort with diet soda, which was tab, which again, I'm dating myself here, but it was kind of funny. I mean, so we, I was already, I was 105 pounds and totally, you know, drunk. And then he came to the door and he took me to the frat house and he started serving me wine and I know not to mix my grains. So <laughs> I like pitched <laughs> I was like pitching the wine, you know, and he kept pouring me more and I kept pitching it. And then he took me to the bar and I remember kind of going to the bar, but I don't, I remember just bits and pieces. And then after that, all I remember is being on my bed because I was in the upper bunk, looking down at my roommate, looking up at me with her. She was laying next to her boyfriend laughing at me. And I was like, what the fuck happened? What, what happened? And they were just laughing at me. And I was like, I don't know what happened. And the next morning when I went to take a shower, there was just bruises all over me. And I, I don't remember. I don't remember a thing. I, and, and I found out that the woman across the hall stopped him supposedly, but you know, and so again, okay. You know, so was he trying to assault you? And yes, that's, he, she had come he totally it. was. And she, yeah. you know, stopped him. But I was totally and completely half-dressed, passed out. My my roommate came with her, her buddies and these football players just lifted me up and threw me on my bed. Yeah. And, you know, and and again, years later, thanks to that movie, The Hunting Ground, I, you know, realized, oh, my God, 
you know, I, I was sexually assaulted, you know, this ecosystem. And you talk about why you stay with perpetrators and things like that as well. Yeah. And it's an ecosystem. And I think you've painted a very good picture of growing up in an environment where you don't have any autonomy and you come back after being sexually assaulted to your house and your instinct is not to worry about yourself, but to worry about the repercussions from your father. Yeah. And you've been consistently told in your ecosystem, so by your friends, by your family, in the movies and everything, that you're not worth as much as a man is. And when that happens and then, you know, people are like, why did you stay? It's kind of like, how would you not? Because this is where you believe your place is in society and you don't know how bad it is or how bad what has happened to you is. And I think that's... Interior. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's understandable. And I think even in those moments, right, and you can see just the consistent and persistent violence and assaults and violations that are happening, uh, have happened to women consistently. And you're laying there and another woman is laughing at you. And it's because this, yeah. you know, internalized misogyny as well. She's probably yes. thanking the graces of God that it wasn't her. And she wants yes. all of the men around her to think that she's cool. And if she complies and yeah. laughs, she's cool. And that's just, yeah. it's just horrific. I'm so oh sorry. Oh my God. Oh, thank you. But, you know, just like what you said, there were so many times growing up too, that like when I'd see my dad and my brothers and making comments about women and everything, and I would join in because I wanted, if I did, then I would be out of the radar. I, I, you know, it, that's, you know, let's join the team or, or whatever and be out of the radar, but also just like what you're saying. I mean, you know, it's, it, it is, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's a horrible situation, you know, to be a part of and to be raised in and stuff. And, you know, to be honest with you, that's when I started because of the social work, getting into social work, I started realizing that something was wrong. You know, I knew something was wrong. I just, you know, because to kind of backtrack a little, all of my sexual assaults, just sharing with you, it was oral, it was with hands, um, fingers. It was never penis in the vagina. And in the States and growing up, that was what I heard time and time and time again. Well, Virginia, you didn't get raped. And what is rape? Penis in the vagina. You didn't get raped. You didn't get raped. You didn't get raped. So shut up about it. Get over it. It was nothing. It happens all the time. You know, but but my body, your body keeps score, you know, like Russell Vandercock's book says. I mean, if oh my God, still to this day, trauma, trauma, trauma. Yeah. And it's, it's something I deal with every day. And I knew something was going on and something was wrong, you know, and I would try to go and go to therapists, but they would see me and they would say, Oh my God, you look so normal. You look fine. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. You're absolutely fine. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. I was cutting myself. I was binging and purging. I was finding, you know, dying my hair dark getting, finding, you know, weight, putting more weight on would hide me, you know, but I was losing myself. I was losing my body. I was, it was horrible, you know, because I was just screaming that, you know, I was raped too. I was violated too, you know? And, and to be honest, after that happened, I moved to California and moved to Southern California and then moved up to Northern California my husband uh, teaches fencing. He's a fencer. Yeah. And we have things called Renaissance fairs. And it's reenactment. I know, laugh. <laughs> you can know, the real deal, but we want I think we call, but, it, we call it LARPing here. Um, I don't oh, know really? if it's the same as Renaissance. I'm probably getting time periods mixed up, but um, it's live action role play, LARP. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I was in a situation with a bunch of his friends and male, female fencers and everything. And we were in the back. I was in the back. I was in charge of food and it was a family environment. And I was bent over an ice chest and I was putting stuff together. And all of a sudden 
somebody was feeling me up. And I mean, giving me an exam pretty much. And I was like, my husband is very private, very prude. And I was like, what the hell? You know, thinking, you know, did he do shots? Is he, you know what I mean? I was like, you know, cause he has this big elaborate costume. And then all of a sudden it was a man, not a stranger, but one of his cohorts who had done this to me. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, you look like somebody else. And I just, I couldn't believe it. And I was just so shocked. And I, you know, and, and he turned around and he told everybody that all he had done is pinch my butt. And so I was sitting there hyperventilating and traumatized and trying to get out what really happened. And finally got it out to my husband, found out this man had done it to other women. But they they chose not to say anything. They they dealt with what they needed to deal with or they thought they had. But I have to say that when I finally stepped forward, you know, their spouses minimalized me. Well, wasn't as bad as, you know, my wife or wasn't as bad as blah, blah, blah. You know, so again, my what happened to me didn't matter. But I, you know, and we ended up doing this because, again, his word versus mine. So court not going to work. But I wanted to kick him out of the group. So we did this mock trial and his wife was there and different people were there. And, and I just stood up and I told my truth and I told everything that happened and I stared everybody, you know, in the eye. And after that was all said and done, they, you know, decided if he went to therapy, then, you know, he can come back. And I just was like, what the holy you know, the consequence. And yes. I think you must have felt guilty as well because you obviously didn't yes. stop it straight away because you thought it was your husband. So then you yes. turn around and you realize, and you're like, yes. what's the actual sh- <laughs> motherfucker? Motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. This is so annoying because it, it, yeah. people always say this and it's something inconsistent. At least you weren't raped. Now, I want yes. to tell you something right now. It doesn't matter whether yeah. it's a finger, a penis, an object. Somebody violating you in any way is a violation to your personal space, your personal being who you are. That is not okay. Exactly. In Australia, in the state of Victoria, there is no, Mm -hmm. oh no, sorry. There is a rape uh, slash sexual assault, basically. That's one in the same thing, basically in the terminology of the law. It is not a very, you know, Rape can be defined as one thing. Sexual assault can be defined as one thing. But when you put Uh it into the law context, basically, asexual assault Mm -hmm. is a violation to a sexual area of your body, which can include Mm -hmm. your oral cavity with a body part or another object manipulated by a body part. So if I was to use something to assault Mm -hmm. you, that also Mm -hmm. in and of itself is a sexual assault. Now, the grading of that sexual assault doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. That's for the courts, whether it was um, a really horrific thing, whether it was on the lesser scale, which this doesn't Mm -hmm. change. In the court of law, what you've just said is a sexual Mm -hmm. assault that is unwanted sexual touching to your body. That's not okay. That's not as severe as other things, and I think that's okay to say that, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. minimize the fact that you were fucking violated, and this is one of those, again, in your life, another time where a man has had the audacity to take advantage or to touch you, and then you, by society standards, are crazy, hysterical, or whatever, making yes. a big deal out of nothing for somebody yes. violating you. It's not okay. Exactly. Yeah. And thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And that's what I just, you know, I kept thinking to myself, you know, this has got to be, you know, and it, it did so much damage to me mentally and physically, you know, cause it was like one after the other, after the other, you know, it just kept piling on to the point where I just got to a space where I knew, you know, it was, it was going to be a bad situation. And luckily by the grace of God, I, I found a therapist and this was, in the time that, you know, got properly diagnosed, because I went through a bunch of different therapists, went through, you know, um, even went to a, a Protestant minister, you know, and, and wrote one of my predators a letter and, you know, just sent it all out, you know, but again, you know, I stayed with him, so it's my fault. But I have to say, going to therapy, finding a therapist, getting properly diagnosed, because I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Because again, I always heard PTSD, like we've all heard, you know, is horrific and happens to, you know, those that are in war, you know, and complex post-traumatic stress disorder is when you are in an environment for years, day in and day out, and you know, there is no relief, which is what happened to me. So, you know, having that diagnosis, getting treatment for me personally, I was able to use EMDR, which saved my life. It, it saved my life and also behavioral cognitive therapy helped as well. And And what what is EMDR? um, If you mind just explaining it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing. Um, it's, what is it? Eye movement, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. Yes, that's it. (laughs) And (laughs) the woman who invented it, the doctor who invented it, she's a psychiatrist. Um, what she discovered is just basically through the eye movement, which when you go to your therapist, you basically have an event because your body is still living this event, whatever it is. And so you go in and you talk about an event and they ask you on a scale of one to 10, how real does it feel? And you then at that point, they will take either they have gizmos that touch and it goes right, left, right, left that you feel, or they take your, their finger and you just move eye movement and you keep going. I don't know how many times they do it, but then What's trippy is that they say, okay, when we're done, you know, doing that, I want you to say whatever pops up in your head. And as you're watching this, you're going, this is ridiculous. You know, nothing's going to pop up in my head, but something will pop up in your head. And then you talk about that. And then you go back to the trauma. How real does it feel? And it, it goes down and it goes down and it goes down and it goes down. And by the end of the treatment of that treatment, 
they get you to a point where it's a zero. And hand to God, I know I talk bad a lot, sorry. Um, it's trippy because you walk out of there and you're just like, your body is like, I'm not feeling this. I'm thinking, but I'm not feeling it. Like it was, it reprograms in your brain. You know, yeah. it's, it's surreal. And, and I always call tune ups, you know, because there's lots of trauma and lots of things going on and you, and you continue on and it, it takes a long time, depending on how much trauma you have, you know, it can take years and years and years, but it's, it's amazing. It's a godsend. And I, I wish that they had this, you know, for everybody that everybody can learn it as a part of therapy options um, for people who have been traumatized. I think that's incredible because you're exactly right. What everybody needs is completely different. And when you're going through PTSD Mm -hmm. and complex PTSD, these are feelings related things. So you know, you feel yes. like you're in that moment consistently. So your body can't even yes. relax. I think yes. that's an incredible thing. And I'm sure the other listeners will listen to that and go, holy shit, maybe this is something I can try. And even if they yeah. just try it and it doesn't work, that's a fucking yeah. awesome achievement just to get somebody and, to think differently yeah. and try something new. Yes. And, and let me tell you, cause you know, with complex, my, the psychiatrist I went to said, look, you know, you're never going to be cured. We all know. You know, our souls have been torn. Our hearts have been torn. We can sew them up. We can do a little bit, you know, and feel a little bit better. But, but when you're going through therapy, when you have people that you can talk to, when, you know, you do the different treatments that, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, lots of different varieties these days, I highly recommend you just keep on going until you find something that works because what's wonderful about it is that every day now, instead of being by yourself, really, I know for myself, I now have tools. I now have options. I now have people around me, you included. You know, I mean, we have communities that are growing now that can help us and can help heal to where we wake up, just like you said, waking up and I don't want to kill myself. Waking up and saying, I matter, waking up when I'm in that, and that's just swirling all around me, and the thoughts are going, and I can sit there and stop and ground myself and say, okay, I'm going to breathe, and I've got my feet on the floor, I can feel the carpet, I can feel my hands, you know, touching this chair, and, and ground yourself and get yourself back to the present. And it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and we matter, we matter. And it's no bullshit that those traumas affect you for the rest of your life. You know, they do. And, you know, just sexuality and, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, it's been horrible for me. You know, it really has because I knew something was wrong, but yet, you know, because I learned disassociation, so I wouldn't be present ever. And, you know, so I'm just saying that, you know, it's amazing what is out there now to be able to help and and to be able to guide and and to comfort and, and, you know, heal. And that's the thing, like with my weight, with the Me Too movement, I realized at one point, I just said, you know what, my body is not about your wants and needs, you know, and so I started a little group on Facebook for or, you know, myself and anybody wants to join me, you know, just getting back to my body, getting back to what my body should look like, how I want my body to look, not what society says my body should look like, not what, yes. you know, anybody told me that my body should look like, you know, because like I said, when I would get skinnier, the sexual assaults would happen when I got fatter and dark, you know, they would disappear. Yeah. And I think that's so true. Yeah. The small ways that we try to control ourselves. Mm -hmm. So you you grow up almost wanting to be this idea of skinny because you want to be sexualized and you want to have that attention. But then when that attention you realize is abuse, 
then you try and, oh. and I didn't do the same thing with my weight, but I've done the same thing with what I wear and different things like that. And I've seen it with so mm-hmm. many other survivors as well, or just mm-hmm. other women who don't want to be sexualized and you put on weight, you, you yes. know, when we think about Britney Spears even and what she's yes. gone through, Liz, think back now and think about her shaving her head. I think that that was a big fuck you because she was trying to take back control over something. Maybe now I'm less appealing. Maybe now I'm this. And that's what you see so much with people who are dyeing their hair, this really, you know, black or covering their makeup up or or wearing different things. And it's in a way to off put those sexualized behaviors. Yeah. It seems backwards, but you're trying your hardest to grasp for control in any area that you can because every yeah. other part of your life is out of control. Exactly. I mean, because like I said, I'm, I'm turning 60 in October and my body was just, you know, I was 215 pounds and I was just miserable because my body was starting. I just couldn't move anymore and I couldn't do things anymore. And I was just eating for comfort and, and, you know, every time a trauma would flash back and different things. And I just said, no, they're winning. They are winning. And so I pieced all the predators because I ended up with what 12 predators (laughs) throughout my life. And I just said, you know, I'm dividing this and wherever I feel comfortable end up, I'm getting rid of a predator. I'm getting rid of a predator, you know, and, and dyed my hair back and to its color and my friend Helen has a boutique so I've been buying pretty stuff that I feel good at you know that that you know it's just it's just doing stuff for yourself that makes you feel good you know whatever it is and again I am not advocating skinniness I'm not advocating you know I'm talking being in your body that you want to be not in a body to hide because somebody's sexually assaulting you, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, you not know? being in that yeah. to hide, but also not dressing yeah. for anybody but yourself. So yes, whether yes. it be to the amazing trends that are at this moment or whether it be, yeah. you know, whatever, you wear whatever the fuck yeah. you want that you feel cool, yes. that you feel sexy, that you feel hot and amazing in. Exactly. But you're doing, if you get to a point, oh, you look gorgeous. <laughs> it's so badass but I think you don't realize how much you are you when you look back you don't realize at the time how much you aren't dressing for yourself you're dressing to either please other people or to try to gain some kind of control and that's an incredible thing to recognize and to move forward from yes absolutely absolutely you know it's it's something that is just so pivotal that that I hope you know, in doing this and sharing what I shared that, you know, even if there's one other person, you know, out there that's like, oh my God, yeah, you know, I want to gain control back. I, you know, I want to be in my own body. I want to feel empowered. I want to dress the way I want to dress, you know, because like that one gentleman said, you should be buck ass naked. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, nobody is allowed to touch you unless you tell them they can touch you, you know, period, period. Unless unless you want to. And I think I did a video on this recently and it doesn't matter even yes. So people say enthusiastic consent, of course, but it's not the aim to get a yes, because if you apply that, then what we are creating is an ecosystem where people think it's okay to coerce or manipulate to a yes. No, that's not a yes. Yeah, you're if right. You, That's not your a own free will. Fine. Exactly. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day about a sex party. I'm like, awesome. The liberation, right? But right. I, in my mind, think I would feel much safer in a sex party than I would going home with a random person or after a few <gasps> dates with a, with a man. Because I think people who are in these sexual situations, especially yes. like a sex party, are much yes. more informed and aware about consent. Boundaries. And they want yes. to make sure that they are adhering to them and that their boundaries exactly. are adhered to. Exactly. So I think that's exactly. an incredible thing to look back on and go, oh. I know. <laughs> right? I mean, it's so true. I mean, when I think about all of the men, you know, that I said, you know what? No. No, no. And not because, but because I was groomed that the only man that is allowed 
to have anything to do with my body was a rich white man or a white man of, you know, privilege. Oh, he's a frat guy. He's this, you know, whatever established or whatever. And all of the men that I were kind and considerate men of color, bikers, you know, low income factory workers, whatever, you know, just the gamut of sweet, caring gentlemen who I just either a froze because I've never been treated kindly, you know, so it's like, huh, (laughs) what, what, you know, or the fact, no, I'm not allowed, you know, you don't fit that mold. And, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, and it's just, ah, you know, anyway, but I love the fact that this is opening up doors wide open that should have been open for years, but weren't, but women like you and the other younger women, sorry, doing the age thing, but you know, I'm just so excited for you. I'm so sad that you're part of that. I don't want anyone as part of my team. You know, I personally hope nobody can relate to it because they've never been assaulted that way. That would be wonderful. But you know, to have women like yourself and other women just saying, fuck this. This is not something that's going to be silenced. This is not something that is normal. This is wrong. And we're going to scream it from the rooftops. This is fucking wrong. And I think one thing we've spoken about as well, and we've touched on it a bit is patriarchy and the, yes, obviously the power and control that people have over us. And last time we were talking, there was one thing that we spoke about, which was um, you had gone on a date with somebody that you did not like and your dad, I think, do you mind telling that story? Yeah. I, it was the winter time and the, this gentleman asked me out on a date and we were going to a party and it was in high school and when we were at the party, he started drinking and it scared me. And he, he hadn't done anything, but I just, all the bells and whistles went off. And I just, I was scared to get in the car because he was going to drive me home. I didn't want somebody who was drinking and driving in the winter time. I don't know if you guys get, you know, snow and yeah, I know you do, but you know, just bad weather really. driving. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> It's, you know, icy roads, it's very dangerous. So you, you can't be drunk. And, um, and so that on top of like, he was getting a little clingy and it just scared me. The whole thing just scared me. And I didn't feel safe. There were people that I knew at the party and I just was terrified. So my parents always said, if I didn't feel safe to just call them and they would come pick me up. And so I called them because I didn't feel safe. And my mom, I walked to the corner. My mom picked me up and I got home and my dad just started, you know, interrogating me and was like, what's your problem? What, what was wrong with him? He was perfectly fine. And I said, I didn't feel safe. You know, I didn't feel okay. And my dad was like, he was a perfectly fine young man. He was absolutely fine. You know, and he just, again, just made me feel like total shit. And, and, you know, part of me just was like, fine. I just wanted to go, fine, go. I'll just go back there. You're right. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You know, he's a rich white kid. He's the one I'm supposed to go after, you know. And I um, (laughs) am. It's awful. I related to that as well. And I think people think that this doesn't happen anymore. And I relate yeah. to that so much because I was dating an AFL player, which is a football, like a, a in Victoria specifically, the state, it's a huge year. So ve- football players are very famous um, that play Australian rules. Right. And uh, I was dating him. I think I was 16, 17. Um, I'd been on a few dates with him. And of course it was a different type of treatment. My dad was like, you can come play poker with the poker boys. And my mom was like, oh my God. <laughs> my daughter's dating a football player. I'm like, first of all, he's 24 and I'm 16. No red flags going off. And Oh my God. It was one of those things as well. And, and he had basically said to me, I don't want to just be with you. I want to date you, but also date other people. And I was like, I don't want that. So I'm, right. I'm, I've got a lot of friends now who are in open sure. relationships and that's great because sure. it's their choice. This is not sure. what I wanted at that time. Right. And 
I just said, well, fuck off then. Basically, he wasn't that nice to me either. Like it wasn't like we went on these amazing dates and we had a great time together. So I told him to fuck off. And I told my mom that. And then for the next two weeks, she didn't speak to me at all. She ignored <gasps> me. And I asked my oh sister my God. at high school and I said, what, what did I do? Like what's going on? And she said, oh, it's because you broke up with this guy. And I asked my mom and she started crying and she just said, I thought you could have had a really good life with him. And oh my God. I think she meant well, and this is her grooming and stuff coming out as well, because she got married when right. she was 19, you know, and yeah. she is, has been with my dad for, I don't know, 50, 50 years, mm-hmm. 40 years or whatever. They're going to yell at me now. But right. It, it, I know that she didn't have ill intention towards that, but that is the mold that we grew up, grow up in still where somebody that right. is successful, somebody that is white, right. somebody that is in the media eye that is a football player and stuff, right. that means you're going to have a great life because right. they think that you're going into privilege, money, things like that, security. Yep. That's not yep. what you want. I want to be happy. I want to be treated well. I want to be laughing. Yep. I want to be loved. Exactly. It's just the notion of relationships and the pressure that comes from family and things like that as well, yeah. which are yeah. huge barriers to it and makes you feel like fucking shit, you know? Yeah. And that was a horrific yeah. thing. And I think I haven't reflected much on it. My mom and I have not spoken about that other than that one time. It's just one of those things that you bury. But in the back of my mind, there is that thing going on where I bring somebody home yep. to meet her. He's not good yep. enough. Yeah, I feel that exactly. because he's not straight, white, hugely mm-hmm. successful. And until I bring mm-hmm. that, I won't have met the expectation. Exactly. And it's it's so true because socially here, you know, you wanted the mansion, you want, you know, the doctor, the lawyer, the guy with the money, you know, and that status and the objects, it's all about the objects and, you know, having the right China and have, you know, pattern and, and all of that, even though you're sitting in a corner feeling like shit because he is cheating on you or he's calling you names or he's beating you or, you know, whatever, but it doesn't matter because it's all inside. It's not outside. Yep. Outside looks great. You know, and that's a perception thing as well, right? Where mm-hmm. people yeah. are breaking their backs on having this huge mansion and everything and yep. all of the bells and whistles and the really good car. Yep. And they're working their exactly. asses off their entire lives and they don't even get to enjoy them just for the facade exactly. that people think that they're yeah. impressive. And I exactly. don't fucking want that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's sad because, you know, stuff, we have fires out here all the time, you know, and, and we've had them in very wealthy areas, you know, and that kindling, it's gone. It's gone. You know, and what is left? I, I sometimes, you know, wonder about, you know, like that kind of stuff, you know, and, and really thinking about what really matters, you know, and can you, you know, as you grow older, you know, things change, bodies change, life changes. Can you still be with that person and smile and laugh and, you know, and love each other? Because that's what really matters. And that's what really counts. And are they lifting you up and empowering you? And are you empowering them? You know, and it doesn't matter, male, female, black, white, you know, whatever. You know, it it genuinely, it doesn't matter. It's just all about love and respect and kindness. It really, really does boil down to that. You know, it really does. And, And I have to say, you know, the man that I ended up marrying you know he wasn't a big successful doctor lawyer and it's hilarious because the majority of the predators that I you know they all and a lot of them ended up as doctors you know and I think to myself you know had I stayed with or done you know what I mean instead of that's wrong you know that's not okay but yeah and it's incredible the bad treatment Mm -hmm. yeah I think it's incredible and I think it's a really great place to end and say that we are finding throughout all of this shit, these places within ourselves and happiness and putting ourselves first is so important and changing the narrative of what we have been brought up and what is normal and changing the narrative to be focused on equality, to be focused on ourselves, to be focused on raising and amplifying the voices of those who need. Um, And that's where we, that's where we focus, you know, yeah. If you had 
any advice to give <sighs> to somebody who's going through what you've gone through now, um, yeah. mm-hmm. what would it be? Oh, I just want you to know that you're not alone. You're not crazy. Um, it did happen. Um, it was rape. It was sexual assault. You were violated. You're not alone. Um, there is help. I'm, I'm here. Um, I'm just like your other women that we're, we're talking, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. You know, you, you can call and, and, or, you know, text me via that and know that there are resources out there and that there are places out there that you can get answers and you can get empowered. And also know, like I said, there's so many different groups out there. You have a group. Um, like I said, I have my, my body is not about your wants and needs group. You can join that. You know, there's so many things that you can do, but please don't hide anymore. Don't live in silence, please, 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 please. Don't live in shame. Don't live in silence, you know, because your voice matters. I care. I care about your voice. I genuinely do. I'm getting teary-eyed again. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so good, um, oh, being valid and, but, as well. And I think that's such an incredible yes. way to end. And, and thank you so much for coming on. I will link all oh, of your you. um, socials and everything as well so that people okay. can contact you if they want. But for now, okay. this is Reclaim Me signing out. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. (laughs) This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.